but I'll just, oh, there it is, whoa. All right, it's a bittersweet day. We enjoyed being here. That's the, that's the cliff notes of what I just said. We really enjoyed it. Um, and uh, I, if you've enjoyed it a tenth of as much as I've enjoyed it, then I, I hope you've gotten something out of it. I've really enjoyed being here. This morning, we're gonna talk about a story that I think is very interesting. It's the story of, a story of Jeremiah and a man named Uriah that we find in Jeremiah chapter 26. And I'm gonna spend the first part of the sermon just reading Jeremiah chapter 26. Now, I know whenever somebody says they're gonna read a chapter, everybody's eyes roll back in their head. This is actually kind of an interesting story, so pay attention. It'll, 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 I think it'll be worth it. But in Jeremiah chapter 26, as we begin our sermon this morning, it says, in the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, came the word from the Lord, saying, thus saith the Lord, stand in the court of the Lord's house and speak unto all the cities of Judah, which come to worship in the Lord's house, all the words that I command thee to speak unto them, diminish not a word. If so be, they will hearken and turn every man from his evil way, that I may repent me of the evil, which I purpose to do unto them because of the evil of their doings. And thou shalt say unto them, thus saith the Lord, if you will not hearken to me to walk in my law, which I have set before you, to hearken to the words of my servants, the prophets, which I, whom I have sent to you, both rising up early and sending them, but ye have not hearkened, then I will make this house like Shiloh, and will make this city a curse to all the nations of the earth. So the priest and the prophets and all the people heard Jeremiah speaking these words in the house of the Lord. Now it came to pass when Jeremiah had made an end of speaking all that the Lord had commanded him to speak unto all the people, that the priest and the prophets and all the people took him, saying, Thou shalt surely die. Why hast thou prophesied in the name of the Lord, saying, This house shall be like Shiloh, and this city shall be desolate without inhabitant? And all the people were gathered against Jeremiah in the house of the Lord. When the princes of Judah heard these things, then they came up from the king's house unto the house of the Lord and sat down in the entry of the new gate of the Lord's house. Then spake the priest and the prophets unto the princes and to all the people, saying, This man is worthy to die, for he hath prophesied against this city, as you have heard with your ears. Then spake Jeremiah unto all the princes and to all the people, saying, The Lord sent me to prophesy against this house and against this city all the words that you have heard. Therefore now amend your ways and your doings and obey the voice of the Lord your God, and the Lord will repent him of the evil that he hath pronounced against you. As for me, behold, I am in your hand. Do with me as seemeth good and meet unto you. But know ye for certain that if you put me to death, ye shall surely bring innocent blood upon yourselves and upon this city and upon the inhabitants thereof. For of a truth the Lord hath sent me unto you to speak all these words in your ears. Then said the princes and all the people unto the priest and to the prophets, this man is not worthy to die, for he hath spoken to us in the name of the Lord our God. Then rose up certain of the elders of the land and spake to all the assembly of the people, saying, Micah, the Morristite, prophesied in the days of Hezekiah, king of Judah, and spake to all the people of Judah, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Zion shall be plowed like a field, and Jerusalem shall become heaps, and the mountain of the house as the high places of a forest. Did Hezekiah, king of Judah, and all Judah put him at all to death? Did he not fear the Lord and besought the Lord, and the Lord repented him of the evil which he hath pronounced against them? Thus might we procure great evil against our souls. And there was also a man that prophesied in the name of the Lord, Uriah, the son of Shemaiah of kirjath jerim who prophesied against this city and against this land according to all the words of Jeremiah. 
And when Jehoiakim, the king, with all the, his mighty man and all the princes heard his words, the king sought to put him to death. But when Uriah heard it, he was afraid and fled and went into Egypt. And Jehoiakim, the king, sent men into Egypt, namely Elnathan, the son of Achbor, and certain men with him unto Egypt. And they fetched forth Uriah out of Egypt and brought him into Jehoiakim, the king, who slew him with the sword and cast his dead body into the graves of the common people. Nevertheless, the hand of Ahiakim, the son of Shaphan, was with Jeremiah, that they should not give him into the hands of the people to put him to death. I find this to be a pretty interesting story. In summary, what happens is God goes to Jeremiah and says, Jeremiah, my people are doing wrong. I need you to go and prophesy against that city and, and against Jerusalem. And I need you to tell them that if they don't amend their ways, that I'm going to destroy them. They're going to be made like a city that is called Shiloh. We're going to, I'm going to utterly destroy and, and bring all kinds of affliction upon Jerusalem. And he says, I want you to go, and I want you to change not one word about what I'm going to tell you to change. I want you to give it all to them. Jeremiah obeys that, goes and preaches. The people received it well. They said, okay, thanks for the lesson. Please don't do this today. Thanks for the lesson. We're going to kill you because we didn't like the message. And the rulers intervene and kind of save Jeremiah by reasoning with the people. And then we get this odd story of Uriah at the end of this chapter, a man who went and preached the same thing, fled to Egypt and was killed. So what can we learn from all of that? Well, I think a lot. And so I want to spend the rest of our time this morning talking about some lessons we can learn from this story. You know, the first lesson I think we can learn is that for you and I, being religious is not enough. Our world confuses that today. We think, hey, as long as we are religious people, as long as we care about God, as long as we maybe go to church and profess to be a Christian, that ought to be good enough. We are walking in a way that looks right in front of God, and that seems to pay at least some homage to the Bible. And so we ought to be okay if we care about religion. But I think this story teaches us that being religious is not enough. You see, Jeremiah is speaking to people who had gone to worship at Jerusalem. Now, Christy and I came here to Amarillo, and we came to Amarillo, well, I came by plane, so it took me about an hour to get here. Christy came by car. It took her, you know, more. Maybe, I guess she came from Austin. So about seven hours for her to get here. Whenever we're talking about these folks who made the trek to Jerusalem to worship, these are people that didn't come by plane. I don't know if you know this, but there were no planes in first, in, back in you know, that, that time, not first century, before that. There were no planes. They didn't come by car. There were no cars back then. They often came by foot or maybe by some beast of burden like a camel or something like that. The trek took a long time and was very, very arduous and difficult. These are people that cared about God. I mean, these people just didn't get up and get in a plane like I did and flew for an hour and whammo, they were in Jerusalem. They didn't get in their car and flip on the air conditioner and put on their favorite song and drive to Jerusalem to worship. These are people that walked or that rode a camel or something for days to get to Jerusalem and worship. These were religious people. And yet, God said, you need to go tell them, unless they mend their ways, I'm going to destroy Jerusalem. Being religious is just not enough. That's not what matters. What matters is whether we are actually doing the will of God. In the 78th Psalm and in the 35th verse, the 78th Psalm and in the, the 35th verse, the Bible there says this, and they remembered that God was their rock and the high God, their redeemer. That sounds pretty good. These people remembered that God was their rock and the high God, their redeemer. That may describe a lot of us today, but go on. Nevertheless, 
They did flatter him with their mouth, and they lied unto him with their tongues, for their heart was not right with him, neither were they steadfast in his covenant. Has your life ever misrepresented your spiritual condition? I can say mine has from time to time. Have you ever put on a better front than what's really going on internally? You see, that's what this particular scripture is talking about. And I think that's what was going on. We don't have, we're not going to study today all the particulars of what was going on with Jerusalem at this time, but the fact that they were making this trek to go worship and that they were carrying on some of the services and trying to do things that were religious was just not enough because they weren't following God's word. They were transgressing it. So they were religious, but they weren't pleasing to God. In Ezekiel chapter 33 and in verse number 31, Ezekiel chapter 33 and in verse number 31, The Bible there says this, and they come unto thee as the people cometh, and they sit before thee as my people, and they hear thy thy words, but they will not do them. For with their mouth they show much love, but their heart goeth after their covetousness. And lo, thou art unto them as a very lovely song of one that hath a pleasant voice, and can play well on an instrument. For they hear thy words, but they do them not. And when this cometh to pass, lo, it will come, then shall they know that a prophet hath been among them. I'm sorry that you don't get this voice that sounds like a sweet instrument and a pleasant voice. You don't get that this morning. But apparently there were some pretty good preachers back then. And what he's saying is, is look, these people, they listen. They They come to church. They sit in the pew. They smile. They tell the preacher, good job after the preacher's done. They talk to their friends about what a good lesson it is. But their hearts, not changed. They walk out of the back of the building and they keep living the same life they've always lived. Now, to the person who was with them at church on Sunday morning, if you asked them, are they a Christian? Are they religious? They'd say, yes, absolutely. I saw them sit in the pew and they they paid attention and they nodded. Maybe even they said amen. and, And I heard them tell the preacher they did a good job and they discussed religious things. They were, they're good people. But if your heart's not changed, you see, Christianity at the core has to make a difference in your life not your schedule. It has to make a difference in your life. And that's what is the the signature mark for whether we have had our lives changed by God. In Matthew chapter 7 and verse number 21, you know this verse, we read it all the time, but in Matthew chapter 7 and verse number 21, the Bible says this, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. You remember the rest of those verses. These are people that were religious. We've prophesied in thy name. We've cast out devils. They've done a lot of religious things. But Jesus says, unless you do the will of my Father, It's not going to matter. So you and I can be religious. I think this reference works here until the cows come home. Religious until the cows come home. Not going to matter unless our lives are fundamentally changed by the master. And so being religious is not enough. Apparently, these folks, even though they were traveling all the way to Jerusalem, needed some prophesying to them. They needed to be corrected. And I think that's the first lesson we can learn from this story. Titus chapter 1 and verse number 16 Titus chapter 1 and in verse number 16, the Bible there simply says, they profess that they know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable and disobedient unto every good work reprobate. Hard to imagine that somebody who professes to know God could be abominable, disobedient, and to every good work reprobate, but I think probably at various times in our life that may be closer to accurate about us than we'd like to admit. So being religious is not enough. 
The next lesson I think we can learn is that God expects for all of his word to be spoken. You remember in the story, he told Jeremiah, he made an express point to Jeremiah, don't you change a word, not one word. Don't leave anything out about what I'm going to tell you. Why did God do that to Jeremiah? Do you think Jeremiah was going into a hostile crowd? Well, evidently, because whenever he went to the crowd, they decided to kill him for the message. So apparently Jeremiah was going into uh, unfriendly territory. It was difficult to go to these people and say, hey, you're doing wrong. If I came to you, that would be a nervous morning. If I was here and say, look, I have thought about the church at Amarillo and all you people are doing wrong and you need to amend your ways, that would be uncomfortable for me. And that's what he was doing to Jerusalem. And so God probably understood how uncomfortable that would be. Have you ever been in an uncomfortable situation trying to explain the word of God? Have you kind of sometimes decided not to mention certain things because you're worried it was going to offend somebody or you're worried they would take it the wrong way? And look, I'm not saying you and I shouldn't have tact and some consideration whenever we're speaking to people about the word of God, but it should not alter the gospel. And it should not alter the doctrine. You and I can put things in a pleasant way. We can pick right times, but you and I have zero authority to change God's word, none. And we are obligated to preach every last bit of it. Just like Jeremiah was obligated to preach every last bit of it. In Deuteronomy chapter four and in verse number 10, Deuteronomy chapter four and in verse, or Deuteronomy four and verse two, Deuteronomy chapter four and in verse number two, the Bible there says, ye shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall you diminish aught from it, that ye may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. Um, my daughter, Brooke, um, had the opportunity recently to make a speech, and so she had to, she had to get the speech together. And uh, so I decided that I, I, I wanted to see the speech and try and see if I could maybe offer some comments. And I got rejected. And the reason I got rejected is because if I offered my comments, it wouldn't be Brooke's speech anymore. It'd be Brent's speech, which, you know, I, I thought would have been better, but hey, I'm, you know, I'm an egoist. I'm whatever. And so anyway, so I didn't get to make any edit. Well, I made a few, but they were typos mostly. I didn't get to change the content because that was going to be Brooke's speech. We know what that's the way it is with God's word. You and I start trying to monkey around with God's word and tinker with God's word and take stuff out and add to it. You know what it's not anymore? God's word. It's our word. And where we thought we have the authority or the right to start talking about, you know, the gospel of Brent to the world, that never was authorized. You and I are not authorized to make any changes. In Proverbs chapter 30 and verse number five, Proverbs chapter 30 and in verse number five, the Bible says this, every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust into, in him. Add thou not unto his words, lest he reprove thee and thou be found a liar. You know, if you and I try to, to alter God's word, what will happen on the day of judgment is that we're going to be found to be a liar. Did you preach the gospel? Yeah, I did. No, you did not. You changed it. You changed it. And you and I are not authorized to change it. One last verse, I think, on this point, Malachi chapter 3 and in verse number 6. Malachi chapter 3 and in verse number 6. There the Bible says this, For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, you sons of Jacob are not consumed. Have you heard recently on some of the religious controversies of the day have you ever had the opportunity to talk to somebody about some of the religious controversies of the day and you get the response of, well, that worked back then or that was for a time when things were different or God dealt with his people differently that way? Where did we get that idea? Where in the Bible, anywhere in the Bible, does it say, I am the Lord, I change according to the fads of the season? Where does it say that? It doesn't. 
I am the Lord, I change based upon the, the, the particular proclivities of the people that I'm trying to convert. It doesn't say that. What it says is, I am the Lord, I change not. He never changes. And so what God declared 4,000 years ago to be right and wrong is still right and wrong today. It just doesn't change. But yet, the world views it differently. No, and I don't mean to be offensive with any of these examples. I'm just trying to use examples. But the world today wants a sinner's prayer instead of baptism. They don't want to talk about baptism. We've talked a little bit about that in this, in this gospel meeting. No sinner's prayer? The world says no problem, we'll add it. You can't find the sinner's prayer in the New Testament or in the Old Testament. It's not there. There's not one example of it. But yet it is taught by the vast majority of the religious world today as the way to, into heaven. Why? Well, because we've decided that that would be a good way. We have no scriptural authority for it, but we'll just add it. Women can't speak? Well, that can't be right. We live in a very um, uh, educated society today. Things have changed. We are no longer, you know, uh, Neanderthals, what sometimes we're called. We're no longer Neanderthals who think that women have a second place, and we don't either. But somehow they think that we're Neanderthals, and so therefore, because of that, we've got to let women speak in the church. It's just, not, it's just not contemporary. It's just not popular enough to say that women can't speak in the church. Now, first of all, we're not Neanderthals. We think our women are, are fantastic and have a hugely important role to play in God's word, roles that men can't feel in many ways. But let me tell you something. God's word is clear. Let your women keep silence in the churches. The world says, oh, I don't like that. We'll just delete that. We'll ignore it. We'll take that out of the word and we'll just say it doesn't exist or that times have changed. I am the Lord, I change not. Homosexuality. Hope that's not too abrasive this morning, but homosexuality, it's a real topic today. The world says, ooh, things have changed. We've got to be loving people. We've got to make sure that we, of course we do. We absolutely have to be loving people. And no, there is not one sin that is above another sin. They're all sins, and they're all a problem. So there's not one sin that we need to elevate over another in terms of trying to fix or help people in their lives. But we can't just start ignoring sin, but that's what we've done with this topic and many others. So the world says, oh, there's, there's verses in the Bible that teach you about that. We're just going to ignore that. We're going to let love trump that. We're going to focus on the love verses and not those verses. What are we doing? We're altering God's word. We're changing it. He told Jeremiah, don't you change a single word. God expects for all of his word to be spoken and to be preached, and you and I have no authority to change it. That's the second lesson that we can learn from this story. The third lesson I think we can learn is that God's word bears fruit when it's properly received. You see, there is, there is a thought in the world today that you and I are in some ways kind of predestined. I'm not going to get into that this morning. But you and I are kind of pre-chosen by God as to whether or not we're going to be added to God's kingdom or not. That, that God's love and his, his sovereign will is so strong that like a tractor beam, it'll just draw him to us, to him, and we'll be added to God's kingdom. And that's nonsense. The Bible never teaches that. Instead, what the Bible teaches is that you and I all have free will. And yes, God's word is very powerful, but it is only powerful when it's properly received. Do you remember the parable of the sower? The sower's out there casting seed. Do you think there was something wrong with the seed that fell on stony places? I don't think so. That wasn't the problem. It wasn't a seed failure. It was a soil failure. And, and that's what happens today when people don't receive God. It's not a failure of God's word. It's a failure of us when we don't accept God's word. And we need to make sure that we understand that. You know, the priests, prophets, and others hated Jeremiah's message. And the reason they hated it is because it wasn't what they wanted to hear. 
Nobody wants to hear that you're doing wrong and that if you don't change your ways, he's going to destroy all of this. Nobody wants to hear that. And because they didn't want to hear it, they refused to receive God's word from Jeremiah. They just rejected it. And so therefore, it had no bearing or no fruit at all with these people. Rather than causing them to change their ways, it did something much more, dip, much more sinister. It caused them to want to kill Jeremiah, to kill the messenger, because they hated the message so much. Over in Jeremiah chapter 5 and in verse number 30. Jeremiah chapter 5 and in verse number 30. We read this last night, but I thought I'd read it again this morning. A wonderful and horrible thing is committed in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests bear rule by their means, and my people love to have it so, and what will you do in the end thereof? People love for their ears to be tickled. If they hear something that's good, they'll receive that. If they hear something that's uncomfortable, a lot of times we'll reject that. And that's because that is a heart that is not at all softened to hear God's word. That's a heart that is selfish and wants to hear things that please it. You may have noticed, I don't know if you've got those up here, I bet you do, I've driven by some that look like maybe, but there are a lot of these churches that are non-denominational churches that are springing up. I don't mean to be offensive to anybody here today, I'm not, not trying to cast stones at anybody, but what I am saying is churches that refuse to preach doctrine and that want to talk about everything being great and always perfect and everybody's fine no matter the condition in their lives and God loves everybody and everybody's okay, those folks are not teaching all of God's word. What they're doing is they're tickling ears. And when we tickle ears, yeah, we may get a bunch of people in the pews, but we haven't preached any of God's word. We've changed it. And what we're doing is we're leading people or misleading people and deceiving people into believing they're okay when they're not. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and in verse number 13, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and in verse number 13, the Apostle Paul says this, for this cause also thank we God without ceasing because when you received the word of God, which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of man, but as it is in the truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. Here Paul blesses the Thessalonians and he says, I'm thankful that when you received the word of God, you received it with a proper heart. It produced fruit because you received it as the word of God and not of man. Have you ever sat through, maybe you're doing that today, but have you ever sat through a sermon and really didn't like it? And then at the end, whenever you're griping about it, be honest, you've done it. Whenever you gripe it about it, you say, boy, I don't like what brother so-and-so said. We personalize it to the preacher. Boy, I don't like what brother so-and-so said, or boy, brother so-and-so really stepped on my toes. Folks, if they're preaching God's word, it was God. It wasn't brother so-and-so. None of this is Brent this morning. I couldn't think of all this. This is all perfect will of God. I'm not, this is not a Brent sermon. This is supposed to be a God sermon. If it's a Brent sermon, you guys need to reject it. If you can't find what I'm talking about in the Bible, don't listen to any of this stuff. And, pro and please tell me not to speak this afternoon because we can't change God's word and spread dishonesty. But let me tell you something. Whenever somebody speaks from the word of God, it's the word of God. And sometimes we lose that. Sometimes we think, oh, it's Carrie speaking or it's Jason speaking or it's Trevor speaking. Oh, well, it's what they think. No, it's not what they think. If it's what they think, then forget it. But if it's coming from the word of God, forget that it's Trevor or Jason or Carrie, whoever else is speaking about it. Think about it like God talking to you. And what Paul tells the Thessalonians is, thankfully, you took it as the word of God and not like it's just from us. God's word produces fruit when it's properly received. In 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 1, 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 1, the Bible says, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. 
Be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Let me tell you something. I think there's a lot of that going on in our religious world today. People are learning to, itch, to, to scratch the itch of their ear rather than learning to, to immerse themselves in God's word. And that's a real danger. In Mark chapter seven and verse number six, Mark chapter seven and in verse number six, the Bible there says this. He answered and said to them, well hath Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites. As it is written, this people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. How being in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of man. For laying aside the commandment of God, ye hold the tradition of man as the washing of pots and cups and many other such things like things you do. And he said unto them, full well you reject the commandment of God that ye may keep your own tradition. For Moses said, honor thy father and thy mother and whoso curseth father or mother, let him die the death. But ye say, if a man shall say to his father or mother, it is Corban, that is to say a gift, by whatsoever thou mindest be profited by me, he shall be free. And you suffer him no more to do aught for his father or his mother, making the word of God of none effect through your tradition, which you have delivered, and many such th like things do ye. You see, these people had changed God's word. The Jews at that time had a whole system of commentary about the Jewish law, and they were writing, the rabbis were writing these traditions down, and they became what's known as the, the Talmud, and it's made up of different portions. But it was basically, I think about it as a commentary by the rabbis, and they had changed all this stuff because it was easier. It made, the, it made obeying God's word a little easier and a little more, uh, you know, human-friendly. And what Jesus says is, that's tradition, you, you're, you're, your hearts are far from me because you've done what seems right to you, not what God said. You know, what cracks me up about this a little bit is that, th think about the, the, the people who put Jeremiah in jeopardy and the people who saved Jeremiah. It's flipped, right? I mean, if there were gonna be a villain in this story, it, wouldn't it be the politicians? I mean, wouldn't you just naturally think that if we've got a bunch of church-going people who've traveled for thousands of miles to the temple to worship God, and we've got these rich rulers sitting in a palace somewhere, that if we were going to pick a villain and a hero, we'd pick the villain to be the rulers, and we'd pick the heroes to be all the people down at the temple? And it's flipped. The people down at the temple want to crucify Jeremiah for what he talks about. And the heroes of this story, the people who rush in and reason and say, don't kill Jeremiah, are the rulers and the princes and the politicians. Isn't that amazing? And what that means is God's word can bear fruit anywhere. It can even bear fruit in the heart of a ruler, a rich ruler, politician who maybe you don't think ordinarily would care. And let me tell you something, and this may shock you, God's word can fail anywhere. You can preach it to the most religious person on the face of this earth, and if that heart is not right, it'll fail. What matters is the heart, and we control that. We make that decision. That's the free will of God. And you and I have to make that decision as we receive God's word as to how we're going to receive it, whether it's from God or whether it's from man. Another lesson, and we'll talk more about this this afternoon, but I think another lesson is that we should be more concerned about God's word and less about you. Now, I don't know about you, but <laughs> if I was Jeremiah, that would have been a hard one to learn. You know, if you guys get together after this sermon and you decide that you want to take me out in the parking lot and kill me for what I just said, I will tell you that will not be a good day and I may offer to bargain with you a little bit because I'm human and weak and I wouldn't want to be killed. Do you hear what Jeremiah did? These people said, we're going to kill you for what you said. Jeremiah said, whoa, 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 wait a minute. We've had a misunderstanding. 
you must have misunderstood what I said. You, you shouldn't want to kill me. Let, me. let me see if I can soften this a little bit so I can get out of here with my neck. That's not what Jeremiah said. Not at all. What Jeremiah said is he said, look, man, I'm sorry. I, I can't do anything else other than tell you God's word. I can't do anything else other than tell you God's word. And he doubles down. He says, let me tell you something. Again, I'm going to tell you, unless you amend your ways, you're going to perish. So he just kind of redid the sin that caused him to be killed in the, or want to be killed in the first place. He doubles down on it. And I love what he says. He says, look, you do with me whatever you want. I'm in your hand. It doesn't matter. You do whatever you want. Because the only thing that I can do is preach God's word. Man, if we had an ounce of that, if I had just a tenth of an ounce of that, to be able to just not care except to preach God's word. But that was Jeremiah. I am in your hand. You know, in Daniel chapter 3 and in verse number 16, some of the best stories are about some of this. In Daniel chapter 3 and in verse number 16, a story I'm sure none of you have ever heard of before, the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. In, in Daniel chapter 3 and verse number 16, it says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said unto the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer in this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thy hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Now, you know the story. They disobeyed the commandment of God. And the, the, the penalty for that, it was death. And what the particular penalty was going to be is a big fiery furnace that they were going to be thrown into. It was so hot that when they were finally thrown into the fiery furnace, the people that threw them in the fiery furnace were consumed too. Now, I don't care how big of a macho man you think you are, but if you're being led to this fiery furnace that is so hot that it's going to consume whoever tries to throw you in there, and you can look at a king and say, we are not even careful. We don't even have to think about this. We're not going to change what we did. We're serving God. That's faith. And look, I'm not sure we can all be Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I read that story in Marvel, just absolutely Marvel. I mean, they were so convinced that they were going to be okay. They said, look, if you throw us in this fiery furnace, we are so convinced that we're right that we believe we're going to be saved. And if not, it doesn't matter. We're still not changing. What faith? You see, they cared more about God's word than they cared about their own neck because they understood something about their destiny. In Acts chapter four and verse number 19, this is a story we're gonna cover more this afternoon, so I wanna just hit this very lightly because we'll talk more about it tonight or this afternoon. But it says, but Peter and John answered. This is after they've been accosted for preaching God's word. Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken you, into more than, you more than God, judge ye, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Were they being threatened with persecution in jail? Yep. Beatings? Yep. Did they care? Nope. They didn't. They said, we can only speak what God told us to speak. Over in Philippians chapter 1 and in verse number 20. Philippians chapter 1 and in verse number 20. There the Bible says this, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I wot not. For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. You see, Paul said, look, so life's not great. I'm being thrown in prison. People want to kill me. I'm being beaten for what I'm preaching. He said, but I don't know. And, and it would be a lot better just to go. He said, but I'm in a straight betwixt two. I'm in the horn of a dilemma because it sure would make things a lot better to be in paradise. But I know 
you need me. And folks, you know, being able to care more about God's word than ourselves sometimes is a tall order, but that's the, that's the way that they looked at it. God gave Jeremiah protection. You know, that's one of the things that we have to have faith in. You know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had that faith. Jeremiah had that faith that somehow it'd be worked out, and it did work out. In verses 17 through 19, the rich young rulers come to, or rich rulers come to his aid, and they save him. And they reason and they say, wait a minute, there was another guy who did the same thing. We didn't try and kill him. Why are we gonna kill Jeremiah? And it turns out that Jeremiah was saved. So God's providence works. But you know what? We have to trust God. Now, today, the truth of the matter is it's very unlikely that you folks are gonna try and kill me after this service is over. And it's very unlikely that no matter whose door you knock, that they're gonna try and kill you for preaching in the gospel. That's very unlikely today. I wish our problem was that we were worried about getting killed. But unfortunately, in this world today, that's not our problem. We're stumbling at things that are a lot smaller. Well, you know, they may think differently of me. I can't do that. They may think I'm a little weird. Well, you know, I may not get invited to this club if, if I change the way they look at me. Or maybe there are other things that are gonna happen. Maybe, Really? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are walking into a fiery furnace and you and I are worried about our social standing. We're worried about our social calendar. We're worried about whether or not we're gonna be able to say some hello to somebody in the grocery without them looking a little differently at us. Folks, God's word needs to be preached. And let me tell you something. I've already said this once already. I'm far from a perfect example of that and I doubt I ever will be, but you and I need to try and get better every single day about that. We need to care less about ourselves, much more about God's word. And that's a hard lesson to learn, but it's a lesson we need to learn. Now, as I said, as we start to close this afternoon or this morning, there's this little story about Uriah, which I think is fascinating. And there's this whole story about Jeremiah. And then like, there's like this little insert into, this, into the chapter where all of a sudden we get this story of this guy named Uriah. You know, and I think it's so interesting and I think it teaches us something about this. You know, Uriah was taught to go preach and it was kind of the same message. He was supposed to go preach and tell them they were doing wrong. Uriah went and preached that message. And so he went and he delivered what God had told him to deliver. So far, so good. Uriah's doing exactly what Jeremiah did. But then something happened. They did the same thing to Uriah that they were going to do to Jeremiah. They wanted to, to take lands on him and do something to him. And Uriah did something different than Jeremiah. You see, Jeremiah stood before those people and said, I'm in your hand. I, I can only preach what God's word is. And you do whatever you want to do with me, but I'm here. Uriah said what Brent would have said, which is, where's the first plane to Egypt? And he ran off to Egypt as fast as he could to try and save his neck. And the Bible says that they followed him down there and, um, and they killed him. The king found him in Egypt and killed him. So how did that work out for Uriah? Not so well. He didn't trust God. He didn't trust God's protection and he ended up getting killed for it. Now, we don't know why particularly he was killed, but I'll suggest to you that the fact that he turned tail and ran in its juxtaposition next to the story of Jeremiah standing there and saying, I'm in your hand, ought to be a pretty good clue for why that story of Uriah is in Jeremiah chapter 26. Uriah cared about his neck more than he cared about God, and he lost his life for it. Now, not only that, but by staying, Jeremiah did some things. You see, there's something that happens whenever you and I stay. It's not just that we, you know, it's one thing to say, hey, I'm in your hand, and boy, everybody goes, wow, that's a lot of faith. Boy, that's a great lesson of faith, and that's good. But Jeremiah did something beyond just providing us a great lesson of faith. I mean, that's good. It makes for a, you know, it would have made for a nice sermon if you had somebody else, but it does make for a nice sermon for somebody who can preach this. But let me tell you something. He did more than that. Jeremiah convinced rulers 
And they came and they defended him. You know, we read about this all the time. Paul in front of Agrippa. Do you think you'd have been tempted to chicken out preaching the word of God to Agrippa? Might have been. Paul wasn't. Without Paul's steadfastness and being willing to care more about God's word than himself, we wouldn't have the story of Paul and Agrippa. Unfortunately, Agrippa didn't have the right heart, so it didn't bear fruit, at least not that we know of. But we have the story, and it makes for a lot of good principles. We could think about John with Herod. Remember Herod? Talk about a difficult one. The problems Herod had with all of that, his daughter and all, I mean, terrible. And John goes to Herod and just lays it on him and tells him what God's word is. John just knew he had to preach God's word. You know what happened to John? He was beheaded. But we also know what happened to John after he was beheaded. And then we think about our Savior on the cross. Do you think maybe a, a person who's a less of a perfect person might have looked at that and said, whoa, wait a minute, you're asking me if I'm king of the Jews and you're gonna kill me if I'm king of the Jews? No, 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 I'm not king of the Jews. I may be a prince of the Jews, but I'm not king of the Jews. I may be an important Jew, but I'm not the king of them. That's not what Christ did. Christ didn't even open his mouth. Not one word. He just got led to his crucifixion because he cared more about God's word and obeying God than he did himself. Now, here's the thing as we close tonight or this morning. The thing about this is, is that, yeah, it may create some difficulties in this life, but let me try and persuade you about why it's in your best interest. Even if you have some selfish tendencies, why it's in your best interest to care more about God's word than yourself. It's because what you're doing is you're trading something that is that quick for eternity. The way you react to things in this life, look, if you're lucky in this life, we live in a different society today. It's getting longer and longer and longer. But if you're really, really lucky and really, really healthy and don't eat like I do, you might get to something like 90 or 100 years old. That's a long time, we think. And then after those 90 or 100 years are over and some of these kids that are sitting here going, I can't imagine 90 or 100 years. And yeah, you can't now, but when you're my age, you'll think that that's too quick. But whenever you get to 90 or 100 years and you think, man, that's a good long life, then you know what you've got on the other side of that? And we've talked about that during this, this gospel meeting. You've got eternity. Do you know how many 100 years you can put in eternity? I can't tell you because you can just keep adding them up. You can just keep adding them and adding them and adding them and adding them. For those of you who exercise, now I know there are some nuts in here who like exercise and really just enjoy the process, but I'm willing to bet that there are some people who exercise and don't particularly enjoy the process of exercising. I don't. I've got a, a bike that I ride and, and I ride it and you know there's like one day out of 20 that I really enjoy riding and a 19 out of 20 where I'm just making myself do it. Why am I doing that? I mean, I'm wasting like an hour when I go ride that bike just put myself through misery. Why? Well, because I think there's some kind of trade-off. Apparently not, but there's supposed to be some kind of trade-off. And so I do that because I think the trade-off is worth it. Folks, there is a trade-off. If you and I will obey God and care more about his word than ourselves, we grab for ourselves something that's worth more than 100 years. We grab eternity in paradise forever. Stop making the stupid decision. Every, I'm sorry to use that word. I know that's bad. But the, the nonsensical decision of trying to save yourself for this little blip of life and jeopardizing eternity. That's a bad, bad decision.
As we close, two more verses. First Thessalonians chapter two and verse number four. For yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in unto you that it was not in vain, but even after that we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated as you know at Philippi. We were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. What he said is, look, we spoke the gospel even though there was a lot of difficulty doing that. For our excitation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile, but as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth our hearts. We need to have a measure of that. They said, look, we are in trust with the gospel. Did you know that's what happened to you? You are trusted with the gospel. You're a caretaker of God's message. Folks, we've got to be honest about that. We've got to own up to our duties, and we've got to preach it. And there may be contention, it may be difficult, but we got to give all of it to the world because it's the only thing that will save them. And we need to get about that business. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 10, the Bible says, Therefore, seeing we have this ministry as we've received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, listen, nor handling the word of God deceitfully. In other words, we're not going to change God's message. We're going to give it all truthfully to the people. But by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. You better think about that. You and I can sit and we cannot preach God's word. And you know who we're hurting? We're hurting the people that are lost. The people that need it. I can't think of anything more cruel, but yet I do it every day. We're hiding the gospel from those that are lost. In whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves. In other words, we're not gonna talk about what we wanna talk about, but we preach Christ the Lord and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. In other words, you and I, as earthen vessels, have this amazing treasure, the gospel. We have to decide what to do with it. That the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Now listen, we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. Folks, that's what we need to be about. We'll talk a little bit more this afternoon about a Christian church's reaction to persecution, and I hope you'll find that study to be beneficial, but we need to get about preaching God's word. We need to make sure that we understand that being religious is not enough. We need to preach every last bit of God's word. We need to understand that that word is only gonna bear fruit on hearts that are good and not get discouraged whenever it doesn't bear fruit and understand that's a choice somebody else made. And then you and I need to care less about our own body and more about God's word, and we need to get about doing it. We have been entrusted with this treasure, and we need to own up to that obligation. If you're here this, eve, this morning, and you haven't yet named the name of Christ, we're preaching the gospel to you this morning. Please, the whole gospel of Christ is that you are lost, and you need Jesus. In order to do that, you have to believe that Jesus Christ is Son of God. You have to be willing to repent, turn away from your evil deeds, be willing to confess his name before man and be baptized for the remission of your sins. If you're willing to take those steps this morning, you can be added to God's kingdom. Yes, there's a lot of other things that we need to learn in the New Testament, but that's all you need to know to become a Christian. And the rest is growth. If you're here and you're a Christian, you need the prayers of the church for any reason whatsoever. If there's one of you the case, won't you please come forward as we stand and sing the song of invitation.